Hello and welcome to TP Talks, PwC's Global Transfer Pricing Podcast Series. In this podcast, Lorenz Bernhardt, a transfer pricing partner with our PwC Berlin office, and Jim Matthews, a transfer pricing partner with our PwC Geneva office, discuss transfer pricing documentation and country-by-country reporting requirements as part of Action Item 13 and where things currently stand. This was a topic of interest at our 2018 Global Transfer Pricing Conference. Have a listen. Okay, another participant in our global conference was Jim Matthews. Jim is a seasoned and experienced partner um, from the, I would say, up to now from the US, but he, we were lucky that he joined PwC Europe as, a, as an equity partner earlier this year and joined actually the Geneva office. And um, Jim can say a few words more about himself. And then he wants to talk about kind of two topics, which we discussed extensively also at the conference, namely the maybe less spectacular, but practically very important part of compliance. And then he will also talk about intangibles. And, And Jim, with this very short introduction, may I hand over the mic to you? Sure. Thanks, Lorenz. Um, Jim Matthews here, uh, partner, as Lorenz said, uh, based out of Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, two and a half months into uh, moving uh, back to Europe, I was previously in Europe uh, on a secondment uh, from the U.S. Uh, in 2010. So happy to be back here uh, and uh, based in Geneva. I think, as Lorenz said, there's a topic that I wanted to talk about first, which is maybe what you might consider the housekeeping side of things but um, is something that virtually everybody has to deal with, and that includes both uh, the PwC side of things and also at our clients and at the, at the companies that we work with on a daily basis. So, and that is um, in relation to transfer pricing documentation uh, and also uh, the country-by-country reporting requirements that have come out as part of Action Item 13. Um, so maybe first I'll touch a little bit about, uh, I'll touch on uh, master file and local file. Uh, a quick rundown of numbers. So 35 countries have actually enacted master file, local file requirements. So this is very broad ranging, impacts um, many countries. A lot of different companies have uh, a footprint that, that impacts, that touches that many countries. Um, 11 countries have formally uh, announced adopt, adoption of master file local file requirements. 43 countries have pre-existing documentation requirements, and four countries currently have proposed master file local file requirements. So things are in process in these countries. So that kind of sets the stage. Uh, this is wide-ranging. It impacts a lot of countries, and it impacts, therefore, a lot of companies. Now, what does this mean? Actually, when I think about this when you talk about so many different countries and so many different stages of implementation and so many different uh, stages of sophistication at the tax authorities, this the, the obvious conclusion is that it's probably going to be a little messy. So when we think about it and go across the board, when we talk about master file, this, the simple master file that many companies have maintained over the past, say, decade, you know, two decades, a lot of those requirements remain mostly unchanged. The, the content of that was, was pretty similar yesterday versus today, with some exceptions, some enhancements. But what the problem is, I think a lot of companies are seeing, is the interpretation and the implementation locally from tax authorities varies from place to place. So what you might consider as a sufficient master file in one country might not be a sufficient 
master file in another country. And that means it's really complicated for companies to actually keep track of their requirements in different countries, right? As a simple example, a super, a very simple example is where are local translations required, right? This could mean this adds cost, this adds complexity, this has time in in your, your documentation lifecycle, um, keeping track of additional requirements, things like filings, forms, uh, whether you have to file it locally with the tax authority, whether it's something you can keep on the shelf and provide upon request. This is another layer of complexity. And then also the timing. Some countries require documentation to be uh, in place at the time of the tax return, sometimes when um, you know the transactions you know, more contemporaneously with the tra- transactions. And then also there's, there's differences in thresholds for how the, the documentation r- r- rules are applied in all of these countries. So these are kind of just a very s- few simple but practical examples of the, the complexity of, say, a company with a large global footprint, all the different things that they need to keep track of just to maintain a base level of, you might consider basic compliance, right? With, with each of their transfer pricing, with, with the transfer pricing rules around the world. Um, and Jim, maybe, maybe I can just step in already at, at that point of time. I mean, yes, I mean, you, you say it's, it's basic and I fully share that on the other hand. And you also said how difficult it is to, to evaluate what's, what's sufficient documentation. Um, I think, I mean, in, in our experience, the kind of where it gets interesting slash dangerous is if you have disputes with local tax authorities, what's, what is sufficient? Because then you often have a direct link to the burden of proof. Yeah. And as, as tax audits gets, get rougher and rougher in, in many countries, we face often the situation that you, you know, you know, you have documentation, but then the, the, the authorities argue, well, it's not sufficient. And then you have a shift in the burden of proof. So from the trivial kind of standard compliance area, housekeeping, as you said, you are instantly into very complicated technical questions. Yeah. And it's that's a great point you make, Lorenz, around shifting the burden of proof. Another example might be um, if you if the tax authorities can maybe arbitrarily apply bad faith penalties, for example, you might no longer be eligible for uh, arbitration, right, in Europe. So this is a, a, a real thing that we're seeing and, and companies are seeing and experiencing around the world, but also throughout Europe on, on a day-to-day basis. Completely agree. I mean, it, it, it brings up another interesting point with action item 13, the balance of, uh, I think there's there's a need, an increasing need to make sure you tell a consistent story. And that's maybe something that always was an underlying premise when you prepare documentation. But I think as you consider a, a single master file and um, potential information exchanges of different tax authorities and ability to share information at different tax authorities, w- between different tax authorities, I think it underlines the need to have a consistent story across your transfer pricing documentation. Now, what does that actually mean? Consider a company that might leave transfer pricing documentation compliance to their local affiliates, right? Uh, that that's, that's certainly the way a lot of companies do things. But what we've seen when you actually get a report from one country and a report from another country, they might tell a very different story. Now, when you actually then layer on 
what what the country by country reporting form tells you that could also tell a different story right and not only are there numbers in country by country reporting but there's also a functional characterization in country by country reporting so i think what this highlights is that when companies think about compliance a it's no longer just documentation right because you also have your country by country reporting but it also highlights the need to have a uh, have a story and to understand the story that the, the documentation tells you and also make sure that that makes sense in context of what the country by country reporting tells you. Because it's not uncommon as we've helped companies go through this to see one story in the country by country report, a potentially different story in the master file, and then disparate stories in some of the, the local files. Uh, and, and sometimes there's justification, sometimes there's reasoning for it. And what we've what I think we've worked with companies around the most was if there is differences, that's fine. It's better to know about them in advance rather than finding out about them in a tax authority audit, right? You don't want to be caught flat-footed. So that's maybe one of the big takeaways that, that I've seen over the past few years as we've gone through this life cycle of implementing Action Item 13 is that it's worth spending some time to, to make a check on the story that all of this stuff tells you so that you can be prepared in the context of an audit. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to do a bunch of work to fix things, but it it at least means you won't necessarily be caught by surprise in an audit, which is something that most VPs of taxes, most CEOs, most CFOs uh, would all appreciate, right? Nobody likes to be caught by surprise and nobody wants unwanted surprises. Yeah, terrific. I mean, maybe just from from our perspective, very practically, I I share kind of all what what you have said. I mean, practically, I mean, we did in in Germany the the last year, kind of for the first time, the CBCR filings, and we did kind of close to 100 for clients. and, And the observation, I think, is kind of twofold. I mean, Almost surprisingly, the process by itself was relatively smooth. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there were kind of transmission errors and some questions on formalities forth and back. But overall, I would say um, it, it went, as I said, surprisingly smooth. On the other hand, I mean, from the content and from the analysis, yes, we did kind of internal analysis with clients and we talked about it, but we have not received any feedback or any response on the content from the tax authorities. And that obviously will be the interesting part for the years ahead. You know, what what will be the use and the actual kind of interpretations of the CBCR um, templates by the tax authorities. And I think what this discussion already shows is that even in the global conference, yet it's a, yet it's a global conference, but we are not only discussing kind of, you know, the the high-tech, sophisticated stuff, which might be of lesser importance in, in kind of the, the practice of, of many uh, TP directors, but we are also, also discussing really down-to-earth matters, as, as Jim just did. Yeah, I mean, I think the your, your point on the CBCR is great. It's a big unknown, right? That that first year of CBCR information was exchanged in June, right? So now all the, the tax authorities have all this information, and so everybody's kind of in a wait and see mode to see what actually starts to happen and I imagine we'll you know it'll, it'll start as a trickle and then we'll start seeing uh, more and more questions uh, around it but I think it's um, just from a, a, a what's next perspective I think that's the CBCR is is probably going to drive a lot of the work that companies are doing around the world over the next few years I would expect at least Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, please contact the speakers. Their email addresses can be found in the description of this episode. 
we have published a series of special edition podcasts highlighting some of the topics covered at our 2018 Transfer Pricing Global Conference. You can find them on our website at pwc.com forward slash tptalks. Thank you.